Sofa Senseis on the Aki and Saltfish Digital Network. You're joined, of course, by Mika Van. And today we have a very, very special guest. He is a top 10 middleweight in Britain. He has been in a barnstormer with Denzel Bentley. And way back, he was signed to Haymaker Ring, Ring Star. So we're going to get stuck into all those amazing points in his career. But moreover, he's got a fight coming up with uh, Kieran Conway. And if you didn't know, let me turn the music down and tell you about this. Sofa Sensei is based in Northampton. Kieran Conway is based in Northampton. But who's on the podcast right now? Linus, Eudophia. So let's give it up to him. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate your time. How you doing, man? Oh, I'm all good. I'm very well, very well. Um, all done nice and early today. All done nice and early. So uh, all my training is out of the way. I'm just chilling now. So I'm really good. I'm really, really good. How are you? Wicked. Listen, I'm doing well. And I just want to say, um, you know, we, we had it arranged with Linus earlier in the week to record a podcast, but he said he wanted to give us his proper time, give us, you know, the chance to get a full episode out of him. So he said, let's rearrange it for Wednesday. And a man of his word, here we are on a Wednesday getting it done. So I really appreciate that, Linus. And, and, and again, thankful for your you know opportunity to chat to you. So before, you know, we get stuck into sort of your, your career currently, you first popped onto our radar when you were signed to Haymaker Ringstar. This was the whole sort of comeback of, of, of David Hay, I think it's Haymaker 2.0. Um, you know, it was the, the shows on Dave and, and he, he took you along as sort of his roster. So what's, what, was, what was some of that journey like? Because I'm really interested in, in, from your side, how you got stuck into being on prime time next to former heavyweight champion in the world. Um, yeah, no, so that came about, <clears throat> that came about through, uh, my management and, um, obviously Haymaker were working with my manager, Steve Goodwin on, uh, what, you know, fighters they had to showcase talent on, uh, to showcase talent with, and, um, obviously put my name forward and yeah, we, uh, met David Hay, um, and he just said, listen, we're here, um, you know what I'm about, you know what Haymaker's about. And we want to do big things. We want to come bring boxing back to England on terrestrial TV, obviously, hence Dave and things like that. We want to bring it back and we want to do big things. So, you know, this is, this is what we want to do. This is the first thing he's, the first things he said to me. Um, we didn't really talk too much. We just said a few words, just a few words. And, yeah, had the papers there, signed it, and, yeah, started fighting. First fight on um, Dave was um, against Eric Wankwo. Fifth round uh, KO, and that's what you want. I think. I think uh, that first Dave show <coughs> drew uh, was it a million viewers, or it had the highest ever uh, viewing figures for mm. Dave. So to be scoring a you know a, a five round knockout uh, on on that is a crazy platform to to get your name out there. And like I say, it worked because ever since then we've been following your career, mm. uh, and, and you know we've we've been been watching you. Now talking of following your career, I want to take it right back to the start. So before even boxing, now. Um, so according to your box rec record, and this may be wrong, but according to your box, your box rec, you were born in Nigeria. Is that right? Yeah, born in Nigeria, came here in 2000. Nice. So what was, what was that journey like then for you? How old was you in 2000? Uh, eight years old. I don't, I don't really remember it too much, to be honest with you. I don't really remember it too much. Um, I remember what it was like to be in Nigeria. I remember all of that. I remember mm. where I lived. I remember where going to school and things like that. But uh, the transition, um, the transition over to England, um, was very. I'd say it was quite difficult. Mm. Uh, it's quite difficult to transition over, and um, 
it was, it, it was, it was, yeah, it was really hard. It was really hard. There was a lot of things that, because in Nigeria, we, uh, obviously we speak English here and there. Yeah. But we have so many different dialects in Nigeria. And um, we speak, uh, Nigeria and I speak, I, where, where I'm from, we speak Epic. And um, that's, it, and we write in English, but we don't speak English. Right. So when I first came to this country, I didn't know a lick of, I couldn't really, I didn't really know a lick of English. And um, it was quite difficult. But now I sound like, you know, I sound like I've been here my whole life. <laughs> You're one of the lads, man. Don't worry about it. I mean, you know, when, when yeah. we talk about that, that um, you know, that transition you were talking of, what were some of the challenges that you experienced then? And and I suppose, as so for sensei, what I'm trying to get at is, did that lead to your ambition to want to be a fighter? Or was that already there when you was in Nigeria? Uh, no, I wanted, to be a footballer. I wanted to be a footballer. Um, and to be fair, I achieved it. Uh, I played for Ipswich when I was about 14. Just... And um, it was it was okay. It just weren't for me. It weren't for me after, I say it weren't for me. It weren't really, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. I was maybe too young or what. I don't know. I didn't enjoy it. The, I always had this mindset of it's always going to be good. It's always going to be, it's always on the up and up, it's always up, it's always positive, it's always this, always good things, no bad things happen. Mm. And when I got released, yeah, that was, that was, uh, that was, that was bad. I, I didn't, I didn't, I never really looked back after that. When you say that was bad, I mean, how old was you when you got released? About 15. 15, okay. So at that point in, in, in your life, generally, you've got exams coming up, um, you know, real life, that school real life is hitting you. So, Talk us through some of the feelings you're experiencing at that time. Like when you got released, are you saying, okay, football's done then? I'm, I'm, I'm not interested in that anymore. I need to find what else I'm interested in. Are you now focused on school? Are you feeling a little bit lost? Talk us through some of that. It, it was a bit of a Like, you know, I was, when I got released, I didn't really want to play football anymore, but I still played because I love playing football. But yeah. I just didn't like that side of it. Um, and, you know, I went down the, the leagues and played for different teams. Uh, Dunstable, I never played for Luton, actually, funny enough. Um, and um, played, you know, with it down the leagues, went down the counties, and you know, ended up just playing. Now I just play to kind of play. Yeah. Um, yeah, the whole transition was a bit, and then you know, I, I I focused. Obviously, I had to focus on school. GCSEs were coming up, um, and then obviously going into college and things like that. I had to focus on that side of it. Yeah. While I still did stuff, but I've always loved combat, and I've always done combat. I've always done kickboxing, jujitsu, wrestling. I've done I've done loads of things. I've done a little bit of Muay Thai. I've done Taekwondo, Karate. I've done so many different things, and there was nothing that really interested me until I did boxing at seventeen. Um, I started boxing at seventeen, and that's when I was like, actually, I really like this. And you know, this is actually this is actually this is actually quite sick. You know, mm. I'm actually I'm actually I'm not bad at it. And then I had my first fight. Uh, I had my first fight at um, eighteen. My eighteen. And, um, yeah, it was just, that was it. Like, as soon as I did that, I knew that this boxing was what I was going to do for the foreseeable. Yeah. I, I think there's and a, it was just, that was the situation. I think there's a great lesson in there because, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure there's going to be sort of young people listening to this right now. And, and whether they get released from football or not, they might get released from the, what they thought their passion would be. Um, and it mm. goes to show that you turning yourself to boxing at 17 years of age, uh, looking where you are now, um, that's a huge inspiration to a lot of people listening that, that actually things can turn around you can find your passion and you can go and pursue it and be successful at it so I think that's a great lesson there when when you say you had your first oh. fight at 17 what sort of structure was that fight was it a white collar fight was it an amateur fight 
It was an amateur fight, yeah. It was a um, boxing pro club in Luton. And, um, yeah, I had my first amateur fight against um, a club, uh, Hemel Hempstead. Okay. And, yeah, it was really, it was really, um, yeah, it was just unreal. It was just, like, after they announced the vision, they put my hand up. It was just, I can't explain to you. <clears throat> I can't. I can't explain to you what that feeling was. That it was incredible. Just like, oh my god, I'm just. You know what I mean? Yeah, Literally, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. I can't believe I'm just. Yeah, I can't believe I've just done this. I can't believe I've just absolutely um, done this. It's, it's actually the feeling of it. It's really indescribable, and that was what like it was like a drug. It was just like I I, I couldn't stop. So what were some of your experiences with, with the other martial arts then? Because you mentioned loads there, jiu-jitsu, kickboxing, taekwondo. What were some of your experiences with that? Was that a serious pursuit of yours or was it just a sort of hobby type of thing? Uh, it was, It was. they're all serious. I wanted to find out what I would enjoy yeah. and then take it seriously. Mm. You know I mean, I wanted to find something that I would enjoy, I'd click with and be like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. And um, all those things I was doing, they were all good. You know what I mean? It was, it was all good. I enjoyed them. But there wasn't anything that really sparked. It, nothing really sparked anything, you know? Nothing mm. really sparked any interest. And um, I guess kickboxing was really good. Uh, kickboxing was pretty good. I really enjoyed that. But um, other than, yeah, I mean, kickboxing was really good. And wrestling was really fun. But I liked striking. I liked hitting something. So, um, yeah, I just, I just, um, until I found boxing, when boxing came along was, uh, it just, it just hooked me. Boxing came along and just hooked me. It was like, it was one of those things that it, it, it was the, it was the whole scientific factor of it. It was the hit and don't get hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Making someone, you know, it was chess, it's high speed chess. So yeah. it was, um, yeah, it was, it was really good. It was, it was just an incredible it, it was just I can't explain it to you I'm really trying to it's really hard to find the words I really can't explain it to you it's, it's so hard to find the words but it's something that hooked me on and it was the science of it mm. the, making someone miss to hit and here then to slip here and to countering someone's counter things mm. like that when I was learning all those things it was just really addictive sick so when we talk of your amateur career how long was that was that career was it was it you know three years three years okay so how many fights did you get in, in three yeah, years yeah sure 40 Okay, nice. You know what? To be fair, we've spoken to a variety of boxers, and very rarely, you know, do they have extensive extensive amateur careers. Um, so it's very interesting that you know yourself. You got forty under your belt. So, Luton mm. as a location is has it got a sort of boxing culture about it, or was it quite difficult oh, to Luton. forge a career in in Luton? Oh, Luton's always been big, uh, boxing wise. It's always had a massive like cult following Luton. Luton's mm. always had a massive, massive following. And um what do you call it? Whether it's um whether it's you know, whether it's back it back Graham Earl days, back to Billy Sure coming down to now our era, Hey Prosper, Jordan Reynolds, uh, myself, Frankie Story, Tysi, Sam King, like oh there's all areas of mm. all these boxes coming through. And it's, um, yeah, and it's, it's just massive. Luton's always had a, a massive um, boxing community. And it's been the same. There's so many different uh, boxing clubs. There's so many different boxing clubs in Luton. Uh, amateur boxing clubs as well. Um, and, they, you know, they're just, you know, some honourable mentions. Well, I think there's Marsh Harm, ABC, Hockle Ring, ABC, Lucy, Club Lucy. I think it is Lucy, ABC. Uh, Luton, 
Academy, Luton Academy, uh, Luton Tower Boxing Club, um, Wingcraft Boxing Club. There's, there's, there's like seven off the bat. There's so many different yeah. places that still do these. You know what I mean? And there's, there's so many different places in Luton to go to for it. And um, yeah, it's, it's, I'm pretty sure I've missed some as well. I'm pretty sure I've missed some, but you know, my apologies. Nah, listen, I think you mentioned way more than you missed, so don't worry about that. Um, by the way, if you are one of the clubs that got shouted out by Linus just there, drop us a comment below and let us know that, that he mentioned you because we want to know who's in the audience. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about then was I looked at your record, right? And <coughs> your first 10 to 12 fights seemed to be at uh, York Hall. It's like you had a residency there. So talk to me about that because yeah. you, you was fighting there local. Again, we've spoken to a bunch of fighters on this show and they all talk about, um, you know, either wanting to fight at York Hall or the privilege of fighting at York Hall. And basically it looks like for a period of time you owned York Hall, man. So talk to us about that. Mm. Was that intentional? Uh, York Hall was, um, yeah, well, that's where my management and um, actual team, that's where we done a lot of the shows and things like that. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I've been very fortunate to just, you know, have a lot of experience in your call because your call is realistically one of those once in a lifetime experiences. Yeah. You don't, um, it's hard to explain. It's just so iconic. It's There's nothing really too glamorous about your call. It's not glamorous, but the history and the heritage it holds there. I've been privileged to fight there. You get like, well, what was my English title there? my first ever title I won my English title there and um, that was just incredible yeah. that was just such an incredible experience because you know I think I'd sold maybe like 800 tickets Jesus. 800 or so tickets and all those people in there when you hear them roar and singing it sound, it is definite yeah so 800 tickets you had you had quite a it is definite and it's just like, it's incredible it's, it's actually incredible but yeah, no, I've been you know, talking about. Sorry, sorry. Oh, sorry, I think I think we lost you there. I think I think uh, my connection was a little bit dodgy there, so I, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Go, go ahead, sorry. No, I was just saying, um, eight hundred tickets. It was, yeah, it was just your call has been um, massive to me. Mm. Your call has been iconic to me. It's a lot of me, but there's so much mass around there. It's certainly different things there like in York Hall in general like there's so many like there's so much that I can go on about I mean there's so many different restaurants there's a restaurant I used to go to after the fights there's this there's that there's you know what I mean I know so much there York Hall's home to me like I love York Hall's home to me give us some of your favorite memories then because you know like I say we hear about it as a iconic place but I've never been yet um I'd like to catch a fight there at some point but um yeah give us some of your favorite memories from your call September 23rd, get yourself down to your call. I'll get you the special treatment. I'll get you everything sorted. And I'll show you what your call's about because my boy, Brad Falls, is fine. The English title there. Listen. Go, go on in. If you yeah. want to get in the to your call, come Sit. down September 3rd. September 23rd, come down. I'll sort you out. All right, appreciate that. Uh, what I'll do is um, I'll DM you and we'll get the we'll get the details and we'll, we'll go from there because I, you know, like I say, I haven't been to York Hall yet. Um, sounds like it will be, like I say, an iconic location for boxing. We spoke to um, uh, we spoke to a man called Reese Taylor. He was the UK's shortest pro, um, and and he's fought loads of people on loads of shows. He, he's a journeyman, and he, and we said to him, "What was the highlight of your career?" And he said, "For me." Because he retired, he retired basically on the show, and he said, uh, "For me, the highlight of my career would be fighting at York Hall." So, 
and it's a venue very many people in the sport hold dearly so I really appreciate the offer about September 21st as well so we'll let 23rd so we'll let you know right so when it comes to that exposure that you got with uh, Haymaker Ringstar and Dave um, I noticed that was then a shift in some of the locations you were fighting in so then we saw you fighting in the O2 um, what sort of changes did you notice that that made for your career i.e. did you get more followers did you did you get better sponsors what what, what, what were some of the changes you noticed yeah like just like you said uh, I've got more followers from it I've got more of a following because you're on a bigger platform you're yeah. on a bigger venue you're in a more a more prestigious a more prestigious and a more you know more prestigious venue and things like that you're fighting at the O2 you're fighting here you're fighting at you know what I mean you're fighting at these big places so yeah I've got more of a following that way I've got more sponsorship because I'm on a bigger platform with a bigger name and things like that. Yeah, I, I had a lot of things, but, you know, no matter what, your call always hold a place in my heart, you know, a lot of my iconic moments came from there. A lot mm. of my debut kit was at your call. My first title was at your call, things <coughs> like that. There's so many different things that I'm going to hold dearly from your call. But, um, yeah, no, all these all these different places, like fighting at the O2, Indigo, headlining at the O2, Indigo, fighting under a pay-per-view and world title card, uh, Derek Chisora, Dillian White 2, and wow. Holly Edwards is world title. I mean, it was just crazy. Like I fought in all these. Like, to say I fought in all these places, it's just it's crazy. And that was all, you know, by Haymaker. I came through. That's what I got on that card because of Haymaker. So do you know what I mean? Because of David Hay. So, and um, yeah, I'm just. You know, I'm very grateful. I'm at a point in my life. I'm just very grateful mm. to have uh, gone through what a lot of people that come from where I come from know. No GB squad, no mm. Olympic medal, yeah. no nothing like that. And just, you know, I've managed to get myself to this point, you know. And um, yeah, it's, 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 I can sit back and kind of say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not definitely not done yet, but I'm very proud of myself and where I, what I've done. Talking of having those moments you can talk about and being proud of yourself and your call being the home of some of your most iconic performances, I need to talk to you about that British title fight with Denzel Bentley because that was a display and there's something about the British title whenever it's on the line at whatever weight class fighters just show up you know your heart was on the line uh, you really stuck it on Denzel Bentley and it was a close 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 fight I'm pretty sure you won on one of the cards right? Mm. Yeah. yeah you won on one of the cards so it was a split decision win for Bentley. But tell me about that fight from your perspective. Um, I thought we started the fight really well, really sharply. Um, we, see, we did see that Denzel didn't start fast. He didn't really start fast. And we tried to take advantage of that as much as we can. Kept our composure and stayed on job. You know what I mean? Stayed really stay focused, made sure we didn't put a foot wrong. Uh, and then he, he came into the fight uh, through the mid-rounds. Uh, and I felt like we started, I started fighting the wrong fight. I started trying to get involved mm. and fighting his fight when I should have just stayed on the outside box like I did in the first few rounds. And then it kind of brought him back into the fight. So now walking in towards the eighth round onwards, it was, a, you know, everyone was kind of went around a piece. And, you know, giving Denzel his flowers, he hurt me. Not a lot of people see it. He hurt me in the eighth round. Right. Um, he, threw a, he threw a right hand. We both threw a right hand. And um, I see his one coming. And I was like, I think I can slip this and get mine first. 
So I've gone for it. And he caught me right on top of the eye. Mm. Everything went black for a second. And I felt my knee touch the ground. And I come up straight away. So I bluffed it. I'm a, I'm a good liar. I bluffed it. And the ref didn't see it. And, you know, got out of the round. I think there was like 15 seconds left of the round. I got out of the round. He came in and tried to tried to kind of capitalise on that. And I got out of the round. <coughs> you know, got back to my boxing in a couple rounds. And I felt like I had... I felt like when it got to the 11th and 12th round, I'd sat down in the stall and I felt like I'd done enough to beat up. Right. And, you know, in hindsight, yeah. me and my team and everyone, we all made the wrong judgment call, which was as long as we don't get put on our ass mm. in the 12th round, we've won the fight. And, you know, and again, at the end of the day, no matter who, you know, what team said it or who said it, I made a decision to take my foot off and perform like I had already won the fight. Mm. So, you know, I'll take accountability and say, yeah, I did the, because it would have changed the decision. It would have changed a decision if I came out and kind of put some punches together and, you know, was uh, scoring, was scoring and not boxing him. You know, if, I, if I'd come in and it would have changed the decision of the scorecard. So um, it would have probably put the strong card in my favour. It would have probably put one of those scorecards either in my favor or would have drew it would have drawn the fight. Yeah. So, so uh, um, yeah. So it's it's one of them. It's one of them. And you know that's how I saw it. Obviously, the result was the result. When uh, they said the result, I was I was surprised, but I was annoyed straight away because mm. I I was cross because I did I I straight away knew I I did I chose to do the wrong thing. So. I can see in the way you're responding to the question that you're you're very reflective about that moment, but also you're taking complete ownership of the decisions you made in the ring at that time. So can you talk to us a little bit about the aftermath? Because again, some of the sentiments we picked up from other fighters is, of course, when you win, you know, you've had 18 wins before this fight. And of course, people are, people are you know, in your corner, they support you, they want to see you win, and this is fantastic. But when you suffer that first loss in particular, and it was for a British title. What are some of the thoughts going through your mind at that time? And how are people treating you? Um, um I was fortunate enough to... You know, I've got a very tight-knit crowd. I've got a very tight-knit circle. And they've supported me ever since. They've supported me for a long time. And, you know, they... I'll owe them more than... And it's, you know, I'll owe them more than they'll ever know. Mm. Uh, and I appreciate the support more than they'll ever know. Uh, what what I felt straight away was, you know, I, I was very. It, it was a it was a mixture of emotions, a very massive mixture of emotions. It was denial, you know, oh, I didn't do that. Immediately, I was like, no, nah, I didn't lose that fight. I didn't lose that fight. And then I went into the dressing room and see my coach, see all the people around me. Um, you know, I there was a lot of people that were all over me before the fight in a sense of media and things like that. A lot of people were all over me. A lot of people wanted interviews. A lot of people did this. And the only people that gave me time after that fight were there's three people. There's three people on three channels. So before the fight, there was maybe 50 or 60 different channels that I was doing interviews. Yeah. And things like that. And after the fight, only like three or two, two or three people gave me that time. And I don't forget them and out and they'll always have first priority to anybody else yeah because uh, that was they could have gone and been in Denver with Shetson and been in the in Denver and things like that yeah. so for them to turn around and be like not only 
not only interview you, but we're just going to spend some time with you because this isn't this isn't a nice time for you right now. Mm. We just want to. I'm not going to put a camera in your face straight away. I just want to sit with you for a minute, and then can you do you want to chat? Do you want to chat? Do you know what I mean? Wow. Like, it was one of those. It was one of those. Like, it, and it was um, and those people will be like, I never really, I don't really have too many friends in boxing. I don't really hold too many people the highest regard in boxing, but those those people I hold very highly because that shows a lot of character. You know, a lot of people naturally normally go and give time to the winner mm. and, you know it was just fair it's the game's the game that's how it goes so what i'm saying is i've noticed what those people have done and i always they'll always have my time and respect wow so is it is it it's that obvious then you know 50 to 3 you know win win versus lose wow yeah yeah wow yeah that's how it goes, that's how it goes. it's a cold but, sport you know, man for me i've got a very good um a very yeah, it's very cold. I've got a very good uh, network of people around me. My, some of my closest friends that were there. I went out after and they were all there waiting for me. Um, I had to do a drug test for UCAD. Yeah. And it was taking a long time to produce samples and things like that. So, you know, I couldn't get out straight away. I got out and I still, like, I managed to wiggle out without producing a sample. I managed to wiggle out and then see them. Uh, but then I had to get back in and produce a sample and things like that. And, um, yeah, it was, um, it, was, it was just good to see. You know, all my loved ones, my mum, all my friends, they were all just waiting outside the venue, like mm. waiting for me. And, you know, that's, that's, that's real shit, man. It's, 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 it's you know, those, those are my people. And that's all I, that's all I really, that's all I really matters to me. That's all I really cared about. And, um, you know, I was very, I was very, it was, it was, it was weird. It was weird. You know, so that was immediately after the, after the loss. And then, um, a few, you know, a couple of weeks later, you kind of, you know, you watch the fight back and then you're watching it in, state of anger because you know the outcome and mm. you're watching yourself and you're getting over critical and you you watch it and you get different outcomes like i've watched it a few times and i'm like hey, i won that and then i've watched it and i've gone now nah, that was a draw then i've watched it and i've gone yeah dental paint right. you know what i mean i've watched it a few times mm. and then in the end you just go you know what let's just learn let's just see what we did wrong let's just you know it's what it is the result was the result uh and you know it was one of those. It was one of those. I watched it and uh, kind of used it to push on. And I think it's made me 10 times the fighter that I was if, uh, as opposed to if I'd won the fight. So are you at peace with that, that, that result now? Oh, yeah. Massively. I was, I was at peace maybe four weeks after. Okay. Four weeks. So... That's when I got back in the gym. Is... Would you say that Denzel Bentley fight was the hardest fight of your career? Or is there a different one that was that was harder? Uh, with all due respect, it wasn't the hardest fight of my career. He is the highest level fighter I've yeah. ever fought. Uh, it wasn't the hardest fight in a sense of I that fight I had I did everything perfect. I I prepared as diligently as I prepared. I did everything. I was ahead of everything mentally, emotionally, physically. I was bang on and. Uh, everything was just perfect. I did everything perfect for that fight. Uh, and, you know, my preparation was great. It still was not my hardest fight. Um, my hardest fight, I'd say, was when I fought Tyler Denny, the English title. Right. There was a lot, yeah, there was a lot of, I, I was, there was a lot of things that I was personally going through myself. Mm. Um, I, you know, experienced a death in uh, my friendship group, and um, and it was very close to, uh, very close to the fight. 
there and um like it was it was quite sudden it was all raw you know it was like right before the fight as well mm. it was it, it was very raw there was a lot of raw it was a lot of it was a very raw time because obviously i'm, I'm training for the biggest fight of my life and my first title there's a lot and you know this massive event has just happened as well and i'm dealing with that mm. but having to suppress my emotions because i need to um because i need to prepare and get ready for tyler denny and um it was it was incredibly difficult because it was just in life as well there were things weren't all great uh at home and things like that things weren't all great i was in a i wasn't in the greatest place um but you know you know you still gotta do what you gotta do you gotta show up you gotta you gotta win and you know fortunately for me um i you know i, I, I performed i did everything i needed to do i kept you know, I compartmentalized whatever emotions I was going through and kind of just got in the ring and did what I had to do. And I remember that fight was so emotional, emotional because when the result was announced, I just couldn't stop crying uncontrollably. Mm. And everyone kept on saying to me, oh, it was it's so good to see how happy you are to win this. And I went, you know what? It's not because I'm happy to win it. It's I'm actually, I can actually show some emotion for what I've been suppressing for the last few weeks. Like now I can actually grieve and peace and actually i can actually grieve for what's been happening and you know a lot of emotion came out so and that was a hard fight tyler denny man he's a dog and he gave me i had to earn that title that night mm. i woke up the next morning and i had a headache for about five days Damn. Yeah. Do, do you know what i think you, you've almost blown my mind a little bit because we look at fighting as a physical act Right, and I know people talk about you know this game's ninety percent mental and ten percent physical. I know those cliches, but you explaining there some of the things you had to go through in the lead up to the fight, and then that outpour of emotion after the fight, it's really, really, really an incredible skill you've got, man, to be able to switch things off like that, perform like you performed, and that you know like it's really tough. So you know the human side mm-hmm. of me wants to say you know sorry for having to go through that, but. Equally, as a fan of the sport, that's why we that's why we love you guys as fighters, right? Because you put it all on the line, no matter the circumstances. So I think that's really, really impressive, man. Honestly, that's um, that's incredible. And from Sofa Sensei's to yourself, keep going, man. Do you know what I'm saying? Because you you, you got the title on that day, and I think when you when you know you can dig deep like that, um, the rest of your career, like you say, if that if if a loss wasn't your hardest fight. You know when you when you're mentally tuned in, you're a hard guy to beat, which I think is an incredible thing to know about yourself. So I want to talk to you a little bit about the division. The middleweight division is on fire right now in Britain, in that domestic scene. So I'm going to throw a few names at you if you don't mind. I just want to give you. I want you to give me a few thoughts on those people uh, and what they may mean for you in your career. So <clears throat> we'll start with someone you're familiar with, Denzel Bentley. Do you see that fight? Yeah, top- Top guy, yeah. top guy, man. Um, nah, he's a top guy, proper gentleman, man. He's um, someone I consider a friend. Uh, Sharing a lot of, we've shared a lot of time together. Not just fighting, but we do a lot of commentary work together. We do a lot of sparring as well. Um, he's been my main sparring partner for this for this wow. camp. And um, yeah, so you know, he's um, yeah, I've got a lot of time for him, man. He's a really, he's a really cool guy, man. He's um, you know, he. He's another guy that will always have my time and respect. And that's not awkward. You know, you two sparring each other, that's that's just... No, nah, nah, not really. No, nah. it's learning. The game's the game, man. We learn. Like, never, 
no better person to, 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 to be working with than the person that beat you. I respect that. Hamza Shiraz. Yeah, good fighter, young. Um, I think I think he's a little bit. He's a very good fighter, very good, very good, very very good fighter. Quite imposing. Uh, I think he's a little bit. He needs to be slowed down a little bit though. He needs to be slowed down a little bit and kind of built a little bit more. You know, like carelessly. Like I think he needs to be a little bit more distracted instead of just trying to attack everything. Um, because he's young, he's still young. Mm. Chris Eubank Jr. Yeah, very good fighter, classy fighter. Um, very good fight as well. A very good fight. Yeah, it was a wicked uh, fight. I never say no to any, never say no to any uh, challenges. But yeah, Chris Eubank, he's a very good fighter, and he's um, he's kind of stepped his. Uh, he's I I don't know about you, but I feel like he's stepped away from his dad's name quite a lot throughout his whole career. You know, I feel like he stepped away from his dad's name quite a lot, and he actually made his own. This is him, he's Chris Eubank Jr. and this is Senior, you know? Yeah, I think you can definitely see the similarities, but they have their unique qualities too. So mm. <coughs> the whole, I, I, I think that the last two years have been really good to Junior because the whole, um, I need to be 50% to beat Conor Ben. That was a great line, you know? He was sponsored by KFC. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the whole 60% uh, Liam Smith, losing to Liam Smith and then coming back and dominating it in the, in the way that he did, is a, is a great thing he can add to his own legacy despite being his, his father's son. So I think, yeah, um, in terms of his career, the last two years have been really good to him and in his profile and whatnot. So yeah, interested to see where he goes next, but that's for another another conversation, I suppose. Final name on the list is someone who you're going to be familiar with, Kieran Conway. Yeah, um, good fighter. Um, he's a very good fighter. He doesn't do a lot of things wrong. Uh, in the ring, he doesn't do a lot of things wrong. He's quite, you know, what I mean, he's quite well schooled, and yeah, he comes from a he comes from a good crop, and um, yeah, no, I, yeah, I think he's a very good fighter, and I'll need to be a hundred percent to to beat Kieran. So, I suppose without giving away the game plan, what are your expectations of this fight with Kieran Conway? What would what's your vision telling you will happen? Gonna be a good fight. Gonna be a good fight. I'm saying, you know, my vision is telling me I'm going to win the fight. But I haven't. I haven't ran through the possibility of not winning the fight. It hasn't. It's you know what I mean. It hasn't. It hasn't come in. It hasn't come. It hasn't, it hasn't come to me. Um, but it's going to be a good fight. It's a good. It's, I think it's two good fighters, two really good styles, and I think it's going to be a fight, and it's going to be good for people supporting and just a, a British boxing in general. Yeah, he's a he's a very classy boxer, so I can see your styles mixing very well. Um, when it comes to, I know you probably won't want to ask this question, uh, but I have to ask it as a Sophie Sensei. What would be next? Let's say you get through Kieran Conway. What would be next for you in your ideal world? Yeah, it's hard. I can't really answer it. I can't. I, I haven't thought that far ahead. No, fair enough. So my next question for you is around you as a fighter. So if you could tell me what your best attribute is. Is it your speed? Is it your power? Is it your fighting IQ? Is it your tenacity and heart? What would you say your best attribute is? Mindset, I think. That mindset to be able to not only lock in, mm. obviously I've got the determination, you have to have it, the consistency, the drive for when things go bad. Uh, it's your mindset in the whole, like to listen, to follow a game plan even if you don't agree with it, to, to do this, to do like, 
to change it up when it's not going well, to stick with it. Like it's it's my mindset, really. I think I think my mindset is what separates me from a lot of people. What do you think made that mindset for you? I think just years and years of just knowing that nothing comes easy and if you want it, you've got to go get it. You've got to get up and no one's coming to save you. No mm. one's coming to save you no matter what, where you are in life. No one's coming, no one's coming to save you. You've got to do it yourself. So um, I think it's just years and years. of I've always had that mentality ever since I was a kid. And just talking of if you want it, you've got to go get it. Could you outline for the viewers today what your day's been like? Just so they have an idea about what this level of dedication is. Yeah, uh, I'll start from yesterday because yesterday's going to sound a lot crazier than today. <laughs> but yesterday, yesterday, 6 a.m., I had to do 6K, uh, 6K run, get back in, uh, make make something quickly, have a shower, sleep, wake up about 10, make breakfast, uh, go to the gym, literally, because I'm living on the same motel complex as where the gym is, walk, walk over to the gym, train, and then come back, uh, chill for a bit, do, you know, cook make some food, this and that, uh, shower, weigh myself and stuff, uh, have a quick nap and then go back, do some SNC and then come back and chill uh, for, the, for the evening. And then today in the morning, I woke up, I had to go sparring, um, come back, made some food, showered, weighed myself, chilled out, uh, went to get some more food from the shop, come back, cook again and then go finish my last conditioning session and then get back in, make some food, ate it before I jumped on, had a protein shake, and now I'm sitting here. Thank you. Damn, bro. You've been busy. You've been busy. That sounds crazy. I mean... Busy, mate. That's for two days. And, and you're talking about weighing yourself every day just to see if you're on weight or in and around weight. You have to. Madness. Yeah. It's, it's you that know, dedication. You, know, you perform your best at certain. Yeah, you perform your best at certain weight. Yeah, I perform my best at certain weight, and then obviously you've got to cut to your weight category, mm. and then you rehydrate and refeed back to that weight so you can perform in the ring at that weight. Yeah. So you need to make sure you are right now when you're getting all these sessions, and you need to make sure you've got enough energy. You're not too low in weight. You're not too heavy. Do you know what I mean? You need some. Everything needs to be quite bang on because you can't afford. You can't afford to do anything wrong. You can't afford to do a lot of things wrong. So, a couple of things I want to talk to you about. Uh, earlier, we spoke about Chris Eubank Jr.'s legacy and separating that from his father's. What do you hope that when you leave the sport of boxing, your legacy will be? Uh, just, yeah, again, uh, a great, one of the greats in Britain that won something, that won something, won a lot of things and was not only a good fighter inside the ring, but a good person outside of the ring, an inspiring youth and actually a genuinely good person that can actually inspire not just men, but, you know, young kids, young boys, young girls to go after what they want to actually do. I love that. And I think, you know, there's been a few moments during this conversation where you've spoken about your resilience, your toughness, your adversity, but also your, like you say, your mindset of approaching objectives with it, with a certain toughness that I think has served you really, really well so far. So I'm sure people can take something from that. The final thing I want to talk to you about is, it's a topic that I don't think gets addressed enough in boxing. And I sort of understand why, but I'd, I'd, while we've got this platform, I want to address it if I can. 
Um, Tris Dixon released a book called Damage, where he talks about the damage sustained in, in uh, boxing uh, as a sport. Um, and he sort of challenges the sport in a way to acknowledge it, address it, and and deal with it. Now, obviously, there are certain limitations within the sport of boxing where, obviously, you're going to get hit in the head. But do you ever consider the impact of that head trauma? Uh, what it does to you now, what it might do to you later? Is it Does it ever cross your mind or are you, you, know, you leaving that for, for retirement? No, not really. The only, the only way, the only way I'd uh, think about it and consider it and kind of move, you know, uh, what's the word? Um, do diligent, uh, diligently about it is in the sense of, okay, cool. Yeah, you're getting hit in the head. You are getting hit in the head. Um, however, the game is to hit and don't get hit. Mm. So it's down to you and your team to give you like, be in a style, be in a state where you are doing the rules of boxing, mm-hmm. hit and don't get hit. You know what I mean, the less you get hit, the, more, the less punishment you take, the more you, re- you retire your faculties. That's what's about, you know what I mean? Like, but in my opinion, having to tear up, having wars, none of none of that, and like none of that uh, makes me that, that none of that gets me excited. <laughs> you know, boxing gets me excited. You know what I mean? When I when I have a chat with someone, I don't get me excited. I, I want to box someone. Yeah, yeah. You want to show your skill and that's better than theirs. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. Um, look, I think over the course of this conversation, it's been very, very clear why people like, um, hey, we're interested in, in your career because you're an incredible talker. You could tell a story really, really well. And already uh, I'm, I'm, I'm more interested in the Kieran Conway fight um, and, and, and where your career goes. So appreciate your time very, very much. Have you got any sponsors that this would be a good platform to shout out? Yeah, so uh, my one of my oldest sponsors, the United Family, which is massive, massive guys uh, in Luton, uh, local family, which is it's wanted me ever since I was. It's sponsored me for the last ten years, I think. Go and, uh, on. They've all been by my side and um, uh, Pepe's Piri Piri, uh, one of my biggest sponsors. <laughs> they've been behind me for a while, and um, got to say, you know what I mean, big up Luton, big up Luton town. Love that. Well. Thank you so, so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Make sure you stick around for part two of Sofa Sensei's where we get to know Linus Eudophia a little bit more by asking him our seven signature questions. This has been Sofa Sensei's on the Aki and Saltfish Digital Network. You've been joined by <coughs> me, Kavan, and Linus Eudophia. Make sure you wish him luck for his fight against Kieran Conway coming up. And we'll put all the details down below where you can follow him and stay in tune with his journey. Really appreciate it and catch you next time. Oh, by the way, if you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to like, share, comment, subscribe, all those great things. It really helps us grow and uh, we'd really appreciate it. So take care and catch you next time.